Rock Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw with you in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You can always interact with the show, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. The Canucks captain skates continue. Um, and one thing that we've seen here, Sat, mm-hmm. through camp, well, camp hasn't started yet, through these skates, is the inclusion of Tanner Pearson. Yes, uh, Tanner Pearson is back. And uh, yesterday there were some videos, hey, Tanner Pearson's looking really good. Here he is in a battle drill, all these different types of things. It's um, it's something you know we've all sort of hoped for, to mm-hmm. see Tanner Pearson get back on the ice and have his career resume. But also, you know, when Patrick Alvine first mentioned this at the end of the offseason, I think we all sort of wondered how Pearson would be ready for training camp and how Mm -hmm. ready he actually would be for training camp. What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Everything we heard, and even what he himself said at the end of the season when he met with the media, he he essentially talked about just wanting to be able to be with his kids properly, do normal things. I mean, that's what we're... So when you're sitting and your starting point is, hey, I'm just trying to live a normal life tomorrow... Then hockey to me is just a, such a secondary, yeah, you know, topic at that point because you're so far away from doing regular things on a daily basis, let alone trying to play at, at the National Hockey League level. So for me, I, I had dismissed the idea of him being ready for camp as like, hey, for the, he just needs to get better. Yeah, that's all I'm thinking about. Like, hey, you just get better, and we didn't hear much over the summer, but boy, it seems like he got better. Yeah, and I gotta say, I, I am very surprised that we're here today. But God bless the guy, man, like for everything he's gone through, uh, being able to get through it, obviously, all the rehab, the hours he's gone through, and the fact that we're sitting here today and the expectation from what I've heard, Dan, is he's going to be a full participant at training camp. And I think that's pretty amazing. A full participant in training camp. And it does, um, you know, all of what you mentioned it's impressive, like yeah. really impressive that he's gotten to this point, that he's progressed to this point, and he can be a full participant in camp. It also brings a lot of questions about where the team goes. Mm-hmm. You know, Tanner Pearson, I know there was a lot of people that disagreed with the contract when he signed it and all these different types of things that we've gone through, but he was a very credible middle six winger, played a pretty big role for this team on power play two, penalty kill minutes, Filled in on uh, Bo Horvat's left wing most of the time. The end of the Boudreaux or the start of the Boudreaux era. He and uh, JT Miller and Brock Besser formed quite a strong top line mm-hmm. for the Vancouver Canucks in, in that moment. So he's played a pretty big role for this team when he's been healthy and available. Last year got off to a bad start, then the injury, then everything else. What do we expect? I mean, this this kind of, for a team that's added a lot of wingers already, it's sort of adds another wrinkle to how this is all going to look. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say is we'll see what happens when he shows up to training camp, right? You have to go through the physical and all that and, and see exactly how the club views you know, yeah. his status truly, and that's going to be the first hurdle. The second hurdle, Dan, is going to be what is, his, what is his level of performance? Hasn't played in a long time. 
Yeah. You know, how much, how strong is that wrist in terms of being able to shoot the puck effectively at that level? Is he, is he at a point where he's participating, but it's clear he's one or two steps behind? It might be clear that maybe he needs some more time. So as much as he's going to be in camp, I still think it's very much a question about what is his level of play going to be at. Now, assuming the level of play is at least at least approximates what he's been in the past, then it does add a pretty intriguing player who's an unexpiring contract into your lineup. To your point, playing with Miller, perhaps, and Besser. Maybe plays on your third line, maybe even your fourth line. But he's a wall guy that can shoot the puck decently. And he's a guy that could be vying for a spot on power play one because we know that bumper spot is still vacant for that first unit power play. There's always... Um... The great debate is, and uh, you know the, the the two players that a lot of fans would like to see in the Canucks lineup on night one are uh, going to be impacted by Tanner Pearson's full participation in training camp and most likely inclusion on the opening night roster. If you know we are to go by his earlier NHL career, he's an NHL player and a good one. So Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin, you know, the, the, the thought was, especially when you compare them to a veteran like, like Tanner Pearson or others, like, well, their upside is higher, but yeah, uh, a veteran's baseline is also higher. That floor mm-hmm. is more trusted by an NHL coach. And Pearson, you know, he's always been a guy that gets a lot of trust from his head coaches. I mean, he won a cup in L.A., and as soon as he came here, he filled in a pretty big role after getting traded for Eric Goodbranson and coming to the Vancouver Canucks. He does those fundamentals. He does the details well. Mm. He, you know, puck comes around to him on the at the blue line in the defensive zone. You got a pretty good feeling that puck's getting out of the zone. There's just a lot about Tanner Pearson's game that, I'd say, you know, some of the things that Rick Tockett had been preaching towards the end of last year, the details, the fundamentals of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when if he shows up and he's at at a level that is acceptable or at the level of his peers and he can play, then I don't think it's going to take a lot for him to win over the coaching staff. Because to your point, he's going to do the things they need him to do and they're going to be able to trust them. So assuming he does that, and again, it could be a big assumption, then all of a sudden, it becomes a lot more difficult for a guy like Niels Hoaglander, mm-hmm. Vasily Podkolzin, mm-hmm. to not only make the team, but also play a sizable role on this team. And again, this all depends on what level is Tanner Pearson at, right? And if he's not, then hey, this conversation all of a sudden becomes, hey, can one of those guys grab it? But all of a sudden, Dan, I'd say, we'll get to Mikheyev, but yep. I'd say... You right now, assuming Mikheyev's ready, but again, it's just an assumption as a placeholder, and we'll talk about him coming up in a second, but Hoaglander, Putkolzin, PDG, mm-hmm. Pearson, Studnika, Oman, and Dries. Yeah. Those seven players are vying for three spots on the roster. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's going to be almost forgotten about Jack Stadnika as part of that conversation too. He's easily forgotten because he did very little. He he did very little when he was acquired, right? And it was yeah. clear when the coach mentioned he needs to get stronger and he has a long way to go to break out. So hey, we don't know what to expect and maybe we don't expect a ton, right? But you're right. It's he's an easy guy to forget. But nonetheless, he's a player vying for a spot. And we haven't even mentioned if you want to look at some dark horse guys like say Carlson or even the young guys. Like I don't think you can really look at Carlson or McDonough. Um, as as real candidates, you yeah. know, to make the team. But even, nonetheless, yeah, 
Josh Bloom, Aturatu, a- a- any of those names that you think might be vying for spots or really have a shot? I mean, there's just there's too many people above them right now on the death chart. Way too many. And it, hey, you can easily say, well, Drys and Studnika, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's still five guys vying for three spots. Now, Oman can get sent down and... That would be interesting. He plays all year last year as a fourth line center coming over, and then he finds himself in the minors year two. But right now, like unless he makes it as the 13th forward, he's not unseating Suter or Bluger, I don't think. They've been a, a front office that's preached giving younger players, you know, a longer runway or giving them a little bit more seasoning. And, you know, it's going to happen here. There's going to be a certain amount of young players that end up in Abbotsford and that Abbotsford team's probably going to be able to build on what they did last year when they were pretty good to begin with. But guys like McDonough, guys like Linus Carlson, yeah, it, it's still going to be a tough go for them to really push their way up the Canucks depth chart. And I have zero problems with any of this. You know, personally, I feel like Tanner Pearson being a full go for training camp or a full participant Mm -hmm. in training camp does feel like a benefit to this team because look, more quality players into your lineup, I think is ultimately a good thing, especially for a team that as Rick Tockett mentioned to Ian McIntyre in a piece a couple of weeks ago, they, you, they'd love to be able to be able to run out four lines and have a sort of cohesion about that and roll out four lines that they're pretty comfortable with, that they can trust out there to have some level of success, not get crushed in any sorts of minutes that they put out there. So that's probably the best part of this, but it might come at the cost of some of the younger players on the roster. It's going to make it that much more difficult for them mm-hmm. to truly earn a spot on this roster coming out of camp. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other part of this, as you mentioned, is Ilya Mikheyev. Yeah, because, I mean, the elephant in the room, and Jeff in Mission kind of mentions this, the cap situation with Pearson, if he is fully healthy and ready to go, yeah, now all of a sudden the Canucks are significantly over the salary cap and have to make some tough decisions on their roster. Unless mm-hmm. there's another player who may require long-term injury to start the season. Now... I don't know what the status is exactly with Ilya Mikheyev. We've heard his agent mention that uh, on Donnie and Dolly um, that the expectation is that he's not going to be playing preseason games. So he's clearly on a different schedule, but the hope is that he's ready for the regular season. But he's not skating with the group, really. Yeah. But he had, I've heard he's been skating on his own. So he's on the ice and he's still working, but he's working on his own timeline. Is it realistic to expect him to miss all the training camp and then play day one of the season? I don't know. Like It depends. So if all of a sudden we don't see Mikheyev on the ice day one of training camp, mm-hmm. then maybe he starts a season on LTIR, which buys you 10 games at least of figuring out what's going to happen with your team. It, uh, if you think about it now, you know, coming back from an ACL surgery, he went like they... They shut him down for the season at the uh, the end of the first half, you know, when they were going into the the all-star break and the bye week. And at that point, it felt as if, like, well, looking at it now, that's about nine months ago, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit less than nine months ago. Pretty aggressive timeline to think a player is going to be able to come back from an ACL surgery in 
about nine months. What it seems to me, and this this is not me reporting it, just yeah. looking at the timeline. And the reason, you know, we, we spoke about this, I've torn my ACL and I've gone through the process. I kind of know the timelines really well and everything and, and things that kind of you, you go through. But one of the things that's interesting, you mentioned the nine months is the most optimistic outlook you can have. Yeah. So if you're looking at when the Canucks time the surgery, and again, I'm not reporting this, but I'm just saying, because McCabe wanted to play through it, and he could, again, like because of it wasn't a complete tear, he still needed the same surgery. It's not that he was risking more damage. It was more about like, hey, why don't you get the surgery and then be ready for next season? The nine-month mark was essentially the drop-dead date for you to get the surgery yeah. to be ready close to the start of the season. By that point, I think the team essentially said, we can't do this anymore. Like, yeah. you got to get your surgery today. Because if you don't get it today, like, you're you're not going to be ready until, like, maybe December or something like that, right? Yeah. It's like, you got to do it right now, right? And that's being optimistic, to your point, about being ready for day one of the season. And again, we don't know his status, and, and we'll see. But I think that could be the easy way of handling it. And the other way, which you still could do, is you can still demote guys like Hoaglander. You yeah. can still demote a few players and go with like a 21-man roster, put Colson and Hoaglander into minors if Mikheyev is ready to go. And you can start the season with that team. You can do that if you wanted to. So there are ways around it. But um, clearly at some point, if Pearson is healthy and Mikheyev is healthy and the team is healthy... Something's going to have to give. Well, McCabe's going to come back at some point. Now, you know, the obvious uh, asterisk on any of these conversations, people always get injured. It's yes. uh, the reality of the National Hockey League. It's the reality of professional sports. We've seen it happen a thousand times. Yeah. We'll see it a thousand times more into the future. Uh, salary cap situations, uh, injuries happen, and uh, sometimes they work themselves out organically. But, yeah, if they were already. Uh, if Mikheyev was ready and Pearson were to be ready uh, and they earn their spots on the roster for opening night, Nils Hoaglander is, is clearly the odd man out, especially with his $1.1 million contract extension. There, there's no way for you to fit Pearson and Mikheyev in, yeah. both being healthy next season, without Hoaglander going down. Yeah. Now, hey... I say that, and somebody can turn around and say, well, you can still send somebody else down. And it's true, somebody making over $1.1 million, But I doubt they send Teddy Bluger or Pew Suter down. No, just sign those guys, right? Unlikely to send Bevilier down. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance to send Garland down? That would be very I aggressive. S- With the amount of money he's owed, I just don't yeah, see I, I know, I like, see I know they've been trying to trade him and all that, and they may not love him as a player. I just don't know if it's at that level. He's still a good player, right? He's yeah. still an effective hockey player. And he's probably still a better player than Garland and Put Colson at this point. Well, and the best years of his career came with Rick Tocchet as head coach. Yeah, and he had a better finish last year to yeah. the season. And he showed, you know, and I've been a critic of Garland, but let's be real. Like, we still have to be real. You still have to be honest about how he played. And one of the things we talked about at the end of the season was, hey, at the very least, Garland showed he can drive play on his own line. Yeah. So he can be a focal point in the third line. It's inefficient with the amount of money you pay him because he doesn't PK, he doesn't play on the power play, and $5 million for a guy who's a third-line driver. is It's a lot of money. But nonetheless, it's somebody that gives you a good bottom line. And right now, if you think about, let's say Pearson is healthy and he slots in with Miller and Besser. Yeah. And you have, say, Bavillier with Suter and Garland or Bluger and Garland. Like That could be an interesting third line. Yeah. And Garland's could be a pretty nice part of that. So I don't think he's a guy that gets sent down. So go through the players. I mean, if they're not sending Bavillier, Bluger, Garland, Suter down, unless you think Bester is going down in Kuzmenko, yep. it kind of has to be Hoaglander. And uh, Tavi mentioning, I thought Hoaglander is on a one-way deal. Um, he is. And the thing about Hoaglander is he would now... 
He, he would now require waivers. Yeah, he requires waivers. So if he goes gets sent down, there's a chance he gets claimed. Now, because he has another year on his contract at 1.2 million and he's paid a bit more, it's still 2.4 million a team has to take on. So I don't know if somebody does necessarily, but you can't can't rule it out. You can't rule it out. And depends I mean, on how you know plays that there's camp. teams that have been interested in Hoaglander in the past. Like Carolina has been the one that's most reported mm-hmm. uh, when the Canucks were going through Ethan Bear trade talks last summer. Um, so there, there have been teams that would be interested in, in Nils Hoaglander and some of his scoring profile and some of the things that he does. I would imagine teams would be interested. But again, you know, we always talk about cash on this show. Yeah, exactly. $2.4 million is still $2.4 million for Nils Hoaglander, who hasn't uh, shown well at the NHL now for a couple of years. Now, I, I, th- I still think because, to your point, uh, a team like Carolina, if somebody has a little bit of cap space, like one of those teams like Arizona or even Chicago, like what do you have to lose? Yeah. You know, like it, that's why I think ultimately he would get claimed. All you're doing is taking bets on guys, really. Exactly. So why not? And, and see, see what happens. But I... I I still look at it and say he would have to be the guy. But then that's assuming, again, that Mikheyev and Pearson not only are healthy, but both show that they're at a level they can perform at. Now, Mikheyev's not going to be skating unless they feel like he's going to be close, right, with the team. So with Pearson, it comes down to what is his level going to be at. Yeah. So we might be getting ahead of ourselves talking about this because if, if Pearson, like there's this possibility also exists here with Tanner Pearson, right? He shows up and it's like, okay, like he's a full participant, but he's not really at that level where we feel like he can play and be a difference maker for us yet. He needs more time. Like, you know, you can tell by stamina and mm-hmm. fitness level because of how much time you've missed. You're not at the level of these other guys that they send him down to Abbotsford for, you know, a month or whatever. Yeah. And have him work his way into uh, more playing shape after being off since last November. I don't know how happy he'd be about it, but yep. at the end of the day, it is it is what it is, right? So the break. Bet. I just think it's, it's one of those things that um, I just kind of wonder about too the, with him. So like, it's not. I don't think it's just because he's a full participant isn't a guarantee that he's going to necessarily not only make the team but be playing significant minutes. He should be part of the group that is fighting for those final roster spots, yeah. as we've talked about. And it is a large group that is fighting for those final roster spots. Um, Tanner Pearson, before the start of last season, you know, he had a really tough go. A lot of players had a really difficult start to last season, but had played a big role for this team. You know, if if all is equal, like if he gets back to, let's say, 2021 form, 21-22 form, um, do we see Tanner Pearson fitting in with JT Miller and, and Brock Besser as we'd seen in the past? Well, so again, let's yeah, you're saying assuming he gets back to being a 15 to 20 goal guy, maybe right, 40, 50 point guy, can play in all the situations. The player he was before last season. Yeah, if that's kind of where he's at, I mean, well, that's not an easy bar for Pitkolzin or Hoaglander to pass, or even PDG. I know you love Fielder Giuseppe, well, but he's probably not. Let's he's probably put not the brakes on that. Okay, <laughs> PDG was pretty good. He was pretty at good at the end of last year. I, I mean, PDG is pretty much poor man's Pearson, right? <laughs> like that's kind of what 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 he is, right? But I mean, so I, I think. It's not. A, I don't think it's easy for Pit Colson to come in and all of a sudden provide that, or Hoaglander to provide that. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty solid player to have that you feel pretty good about. And what that does is, you know, all of a sudden now with Bavillier, you have PDG. You know what? I mentioned this before, but I don't hate the idea of really spreading the love on your wings outside your top six, like 
especially in your third and fourth lines. And this is something that, that you know, Talk had mentioned when he cited the Vegas Golden Knights and how they like to spread out their offense a little bit through four lines. Like, I kind of love to see a third line of, say, Hoaglander or Putkolzin, whoever wins the spot, playing with Bluger and Garland. And then I'd like to see Bavillier with um, Suter and Joshua. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, can, if you have the luxury of having Bavillier on your fourth line with Suter and Joshua... I think that's an interesting fourth line. You can trust it pretty much in any situation. Yep. You know, not that you feel like they're going to excel in any situation, but if you have to live with a defensive zone draw against the other team's top six with those guys on the ice, you can live with that on the road. And I think that's a pretty good thing to have if you're able to spread the wealth to your four lines. And uh, it's it's something that Rick Toggett has, has mentioned, um, wanting to be a team that can play all four lines. We've seen other teams have success like that. Vegas is probably the best example of it, not just last year, but even if you go back to their expansion season like they didn't really have any Mm -hmm. stars they had William Carlson play like a star they had Shea Theodore have a breakout season Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith had real breakout seasons but when they started that year nobody looked at Vegas and was like wow they've got some real star players but in the expansion draft they kind of got a lot of second tier guys that were passed on by their teams Mm -hmm. and they had four lines of kind of second tier guys just rolling out at yeah. you, coming after you, roll after roll. The, the tide never really stopped, and that led to a lot of their success. So, you know, if you're able to have you know, credible 15 to 20 goal scorers like uh, an Anthony Beauvillier playing further down the lineup, I mean, that gives you a, a little bit more length. And that's one of the things I'd been worried about with this team is, mm-hmm. you know, do they have some scoring punch beyond, you know, lines led by Elias Patterson and JT Miller? I think it's fair, right? Especially with, you know, the ex- the expected uh, leveling of Kuzmenko's goal scoring. Yes. Like, it's unlikely he scores 39. Well, it's, it's just unlikely that he doesn't maintain a 27% shooting percentage. Right. And does he maybe score... Th- I mean, I think there's a chance he scores 30, which is great. But, I yeah. mean, you have to kind of bake in... They scored a lot of goals last year. Yeah. A lot of guys had career years, essentially, right? It's hard to replicate replicate that the next season a little bit, so there will be a bit of a leveling off. We'll see how the power play kind of goes in to some, some degree. So if that kind of happens, you need somebody else to kind of emerge. And I think you don't necessarily need to go out and, and spend a lot of money on it. The hope is, can you get something, somebody emerge internally? If you don't, we go back to what we mentioned yesterday. Does a team look at long-term solutions? Because I think they love to add somebody who's more of a natural natural goal scorer to this club long-term. Same thing on the back end. They love to add a full-time top four defenseman. But it's not an easy thing to do, right? And to the point that people are making, like this one unsigned to the to Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox, Garland, Bavillier, Myers are clearly t- trade targets. And they are, right? But like we mentioned yesterday, there are currently, what, eight teams in the National Hockey League that have over $3 million in cap space. Yeah. So, and a number of those teams are the Ducks, Chicago Blackhawks, Sabres, and Predators, and Red Wings, who aren't really enamored with the types of players Vancouver has at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, you could throw... Uh, this might be getting ahead of myself here, but you could even throw Pearson into a player that could play his way into being a bit of a trade asset. You know, when Pearson was a pending unrestricted free agent, before he signed this contract that he's currently on, you know, the Canucks were fielding calls at the deadline for him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there was maybe a second or third round pick on the table for Pearson back then. Now that's what, three seasons ago. So we're looking back in time quite a bit and he's got a lot to prove, but you know, if Pearson can find a level of play similar to what he had put up prior to last season, then, you know, that would be a player that has some trade value at the deadline, especially as 
an expiring contract. Exactly. And that's the trade deadline thing. I think, yeah. as we mentioned yesterday, once but we get to a new guys, year... Beauvillier, Myers, like, they're all kind of trade deadline guys. Yeah, and I mean, is there a chance one of them gets moved in training camp? I suppose the possibility exists that there's some sort of trade does happen. Like, let's say that, you know, Hoaglander shows really well and the Canucks like what he does. Pearson's healthy, Mikheyev's healthy. And they really want to hold on to Hoaglander, don't want to risk him on waivers. Then they're going to be forced into doing something. Maybe they, maybe they do something that, let's say bypasses some of the value they can get later with these guys to hold on to certain players. And that's why camp, I think, this year all of a sudden is super interesting, Dan. Like, I think it's going to be very interesting for not only the battles, but how the health of these guys stack up and ultimately if the organization is forced into a position to actually have to make a deal. I just want to address one thing because on the, on the center thing, I mentioned I'd like to see Suter on the fourth line. The reason I say that is I'd like to have Bluger with Garland because I think Garland can still be the primary playmaker and everything. And having Bluger with his defensive presence and his two-way ability and size, I think, helps a little bit. And then I think having Suter on your fourth line with his skill, but having a defensive guy like Bavillier with him that can be decent defensively in the size with, with Joshua, I just think it gives you more balance. And if you run one four lines, then the ice time for your third and fourth line should be pretty even at, at five on five. Um I do want to get to a couple of texts before uh, Randy Janda is going to join us. Uh, but Tones and Jeffro both uh, raising a Spockian eyebrow at the idea of trying to get Hoaglander down through waivers. And Tones says, better off sending a PDG type down and save Hoaglander, keep uh, him as a potential long-term player. The thing is, um, with the cap situation, they would need a player... That's right around Nils Hoaglander's um, cap allocation. And PDG, I don't think, would be enough if Mikheyev and Pearson are ready for the start of the season. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's the thing we mentioned. Uh, because the Canucks are currently $4.95 million over the cap into LTIR, mm-hmm. and Pullman at two point five, you can kind of you can keep, the Canucks still have to clear about three point two, about $3 million in cap space. Yeah. Pretty much where Tanner Pearson's number is. Yeah, 3.25 they have to clear up. And it's hard to get to that. It's impossible to get to that number without one of Garland, Bevilier, or Hoaglander. It's just impossible. Yeah. Uh, so that's something uh, to, to keep in mind as well as this continues to develop. Uh, he's been watching a lot of the skates. We'll get his take on uh, how Tanner Pearson has looked and others as well. Our color analyst, Randeep Janda, finally back from Italy, is next on Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Canuck Central in the Kid Tech Studio, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Um... We've got a very pressing question in at the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox for you, Sat. What's going on? What's happening? Uh, hey, Sat, be honest. Mm. Better defender slash captain, Quinn Hughes or Harry Maguire? Harry Maguire. <laughs> Clearly. Harry Maguire. <laughs> Clearly Harry. Uh, 
Yeah, Own goal for England, and this guy's just getting crushed right now. I mean, it's honestly, it's not his fault. It's like, you know, it's, it's Garrett Southgate throwing him <laughs> Why into... Why is he still on the English? I don't You're get telling it. me England doesn't have a better center back? Oh, they do. It's they have the like, guy that was born in Canada. They have like a bunch of them. They have a bunch. Of, yeah, Tamori, he is an option. I, I know they played Mark Gahey the other day, but you can play him. Levi Colwell, you yes. I mean, get a ton of ton of guys that can go to. Uh, that's way too much soccer talk. Let's bring in yeah. our next guest. Uh, it is uh, color analyst uh, Randeep Janda, who is uh, now uh, technically more Italian than I am because he spent basically the entire summer in Italy. What's happening? What's going on, boys? I was going to break down Bologna versus AC Milan that I caught uh, <laughs> while I was there. You guys are having some footy talk. Uh, yeah, well, just just briefly, uh, only because it came in as a question on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. This is, uh, this is Canuck Central after all, but uh, I got to know, uh, how are the Spros tasting now that you're back from Italy? Yeah, they taste like garbage in Vancouver right now. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Reese, I texted you a couple of days ago. I-, I love coffee. I love Vancouver coffee. But once you've had the Italian Spro and you come back here, it tastes down like watered-down sewer water. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> they just see the look on Dan's yeah, it's face not right even now. A joke. Yeah. It's not even a joke. He, he knows. He, he agrees. Uh, it's it's just the way she goes. Uh, so, um, Canuck season is ramping up. Uh, you've been at uh, the UBC skates, the captain skates, I guess, as they are uh, called. Um, we were just talking about Tanner Pearson and uh, Sat saying that uh, it looks like Tanner's going to be a full participant in training camp. How's Tanner looked to you in some of these skates? Yeah, I think the first thing, uh, you know, witnessing these skates was that just seeing Tanner Pearson on the ice was a bit of a shock, right? It's been so long since he's been on the ice for the Vancouver Canucks or skating in any which way uh, that we've seen him. So seeing him on the ice was the first thing. But overall, uh, if you look at the way that he's been able to, you know, keep up with the play, they've been having scrimmages over the last week or so. Uh, he's heavily involved. This is not like it's uh, he's doing his own thing on the side or he's taking shifts off. No, he's he's fully engaged. And, you know, he's looking good right now. Remember, it's uh, an informal skate. They're kind of getting ramped up. Um, so as of right now, he, he's, you know, looking good. I think he's keeping up with the play. He looks like the normal Tanner Pearson, but we'll see once this, you know, training camp kicks in, when they take this competitively, um, once preseason games start, guys, one of the things that I'll be looking at when it comes to Tanner Pearson, if he played, you know, not many games last year, I believe it was what, 14 mm-hmm. games. And he had eight minor penalties in those yeah. four team games so you know can he keep up with the play yeah skates is fine but competitive hockey uh, are those legs is that skating going to be able to keep up in the play i think you nailed it there randy right i think the fact that we're at a point that he's going to be participating in training camp and he's at these skates looking the way he's looking as a testament to his recovery and and honestly I'm, I'm just so happy for him but you're right is what is his level going to be at, at, especially after not having played a lot? And he did struggle last season. Now, everybody struggled on that team to start last season. It's true, but he did struggle a bit more. So if he's not at the level that, you know, we've, we're accustomed to seeing in the past from him, which means he may not be good enough to make this team, then all of a sudden all the cap issues, well, yeah, you still have to pay him a lot of money to be in the minors for a season, but it does alleviate some of your problems if that's the case. So I think not only does, does Pearson have to show up and, and, you know, show that he's healthy, but I think he's got to really earn a spot on this team. Oh, totally. And you've got a glut of, you know, wingers there, a surplus of wingers that is going to, you know, with whether it's a uh, Vasily Podkolzin, a Niels Hoaglander, uh, even a, a Connor Garland wasn't drafted by this team, but he was acquired in a trade. There is going to be a, a factor of, okay, if Tanner Pearson, when he's 
good to go. When his health is fine, uh, can he hit that level? Whatever you think of the playing style of Connor Garland, whether he fits the profile of what this team wants to play, a couple of things are for sure. That on a third line, as we saw last year, he can drive play. You give him a good enough center, a guy that can you know, beat responsible defensively alongside him, he can probably create some offense. Tanner Pearson, for the most part, has been a, a complementary winger. He's not going to necessarily drive play, uh, but you're going to have to have somebody next to him. He's probably that option C on the line. So to me, yeah, Pat, you're, you're right. Like This is going to be a huge training camp for him. It's awesome to see him on the ice. It's awesome to see that progress of just skating and, and being up in the play. But if you start looking at the cap situation, you know, Vasily Podkolzin, draft pick for this team, uh, they've raved about when he's playing well, there's a confidence in his game that people really like within the organization. Sure, that confidence is fleeting at times. Uh, with Niels Hoaglander, I think he took a step in Abbotsford last year. Rick Tockett, uh, at the end of the year, was talking about how he liked his play in Abbotsford. So it's going to be a, a really, I think, a tough hill for Tanner Pearson to climb, but that's kind of the reality right now with all the wingers on this team. Yeah, there is uh, quite a few people that are and players that are fighting for those final roster spots in the forward group. And how things shake out on defense is going to be super interesting as well as we get into camp here, Randy. Right. Um, you know, Ian Cole just getting into uh, these captain skates as of yesterday. We know Carson Soucy was at least the longest term contract they gave out in the summer. You still have you know Christian Willan and Jack Rathbone, Matt Irwin. Noah Juleson, Guillaume Brisebois, like there's so many that are going to be vying for spots on the back end. But first and foremost, how do we think that top four is going to shake up on the back end? We know Quinn Hughes and Philip Hronick are going to anchor two pairs. What do you think happens with them? Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation because depending on who you talk to, everybody's got an opinion of whether it's going to be Carson Soucy next to Quinn Hughes or it's going to be Ian Cole, but you know, I've been thinking about this since last year, or really free agency, where both of these guys come in and, and you wonder what the best fit is going to be. That's kind of been the word in Vancouver when it comes to defense. It's not necessarily, you know, who has the most skill. We saw Nate Schmidt come into Vancouver, a really good player, but the fit here was not good. So I look at both of these guys, and Carson Soucy and Ian Cole, and I do wonder who's ready for that top pairing role. Listen, we know when it comes to PK, uh, and five-on-five play, the number's probably going to be around, what, 18, 19 minutes. Um, who's played that in the past? Ian Cole, you know, over the last couple of years, has been fluctuating around 20 to 21 minutes per game. He's been killing those penalties, uh, much like Carson Soucy, but if you look at his averages throughout his career, he has handled higher ice time uh, a lot more than uh, Carson Soucy's in the past. And, you know, one of the experiments that they had in Tampa Bay was him playing alongside Victor Hedman, you know, Hedman on the left, and just kind of do your job, Ian Cole. Don't overdo it. Play that defensive side. Let the let the you know the the special player that Victor Hedman is. Let him do his thing. You keep it simple. But, you know, who does that remind you of? That reminds you of Luke Shen when he was mm-hmm. playing next to a, a Quinn Hughes. So, you know, I have my thoughts on it. I talked to Ian Cole about it. He gave a pretty good response on you know what that role really entailed and what you're supposed to do when you're playing next to a creative player, a dynamic player. Um, So, you know, looking at the experience in Tampa Bay, I would probably say Ian Cole is the one that I would look at, but I think one thing for sure, training camp and maybe in the season guys, they'll probably be experimenting with both guys. Uh, I would just say Ian Cole, just because he's handled some of those minutes in the past might be more well-suited to start off the season in that role. 
How big of an addition do you think Ian Cole can be to that entire room and and not only to the back end, but to the room with his experience and what seems to be a a really, let's say, calming presence in terms of his demeanor and how he's able to communicate? Yeah, when you've won a Stanley Cup, when you've, you know, played with some of the best players, and I think the key with this role for Ian Cole is that it's not about, you know, playing with the best and Ian Cole's not going to be mistaken for the best defenseman in the NHL. We know that, but it's about role. Can you get in those lanes? Can you set the example? Can you get in that shooting lane and, and do what Canucks defensemen maybe haven't been able to do the last couple of years? Uh, I think on the ice, he's going to be a guy that's going to leave it all on the ice. You, you've seen that PK role. He's, for his size, a pretty physical guy. Uh, you know, Not the tallest, not the biggest, but he plays a physical game. But beyond that, guys, I think the veteran's presence, just the ability to have him matt Irwin, you know carson Susi, a guy that's not necessarily young he's in um, you know his late 20s these guys play a certain way and the role that the canucks want them to play you don't have to teach these guys this is not an oel experiment to say hey transition to be alex edler in the second part of his career get in those lanes uh we want you to play the game a little differently we want you to be a menace you know in the corners you're not teaching these guys and that's where i think with ian cole it's like hey do what you've done the last three, four years in this league, do what you did in Pittsburgh. Uh, we're not paying you to be the guy. We want you to compliment and do the things so you can set an example and really raise that standard. So, you know, if you're Akito Hirose, if you're Jack Rathbone, um, Christian Willanen, who's a little bit older, you're looking at these guys and say, okay, I might have the offensive skill, but I'm, I'm going to need that. I'm going to need that hard skill too if I want to crack this lineup. And looking at, you know, we talk a lot about the surplus of wingers. Uh, you've got a bit of a surplus of defensemen as well as start, as you start to fill out the six and seven role. Yeah, there's yeah, there is quite a few players that are going to be vying for those spots um, as as we get to camp next week. Now, uh, this this might feel a little bit like Groundhog Day ish, but. It's September, we're getting ready for training camp, and we're all wondering if we're going to see the best version of Brock Besser yet again. Uh, We've had this discussion a thousand times before, and it's continuing this year. But the thing with Besser this year, and like we know what we're getting from Patterson, we know what we're getting from Miller. I still think, you know, Andre Kuzmenko, even though I don't feel he's going to match his goal total of last year, he's still going to be a pretty good player for this team. Canucks weren't able, they didn't have the cap space to sign a high-impact forward this year. They need Brock Besser to be that guy, almost like a new signing-ish for this team. It's just, it's got to come down to Besser to see if he can perform at that level again. Yeah, you've got to start off with that confidence to, you know, not only for the the entire team, but Brock Besser specifically, you can't be searching for confidence in the first 20 games of the season. You know, he's he's been at the skates, and like all the other guys, you know, looking good so far, but with Brock, there's always been a bit of a speed bump when it comes to, you know, maybe uh, health. Obviously, the, the off-ice stuff is something that you can't control, and it's been a tough couple of years, but as of right now, uh, you're in a situation where uh, you have to start off the first 20 games of the year. I would even say first five to 10 games, just being consistent, and one of the areas that, you know, I, I was frustrated watching Brock last year was he just go in and out of games, and defensively, uh, to start off the year was was not good, and I think it's not hyperbole to say he was one of the uh, you know the worst defensive players uh, from a forward position in the NHL last year. The stats yeah. back that up. But guys, you know you're going to get a role alongside J.T. Miller, and with the center depth that they now do have, with Pew Suter taking uh, getting into the lineup, you've got Teddy Bluger, 
uh, there's a couple of guys that can check. They can play some, you know, important roles from a checking perspective. So JT Miller, sure, he's going to take head-to-head matchups with some really good centers in the league. But if you're Brock Besser and you're playing alongside JT Miller, you're getting a point-per-game player playing next to you, a guy that hit 50 assists. Uh, you got to make sure that that chemistry you've built up over the last couple of years, uh, we're not waiting till game 15 to say, hey, when's Brock showing up? To me, this is a, a, obviously a big year. We've talked about this, uh, as you mentioned, Reach, but I look at Brock Besser, and you can't really say, hey, he's young anymore, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a veteran in the league now. So, you know, the same can be said for an Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, and, and Brock Besser very much. You, you know, that, that young player um, lens that we see them through, it, it eventually you shake that. And I think Luke Shen said it last year, hey, the young guys aren't as uh, – or they aren't young anymore. And with Brock, he's going to have to deliver here because you know, 55 points last year, but the start of the year – it, it was not good, and it was a real challenge for this team. You need your top six forward to create and put up points. I mean, they definitely need somebody else to emerge, right? Like we talked about so much. And I think, you know, Besser, if he bounces back, you have Kuzmenko doing his thing with Miller and Pedersen. You feel pretty good about, you know, your duos in the top six in terms of goal scoring. The other question, as we mentioned with Pearson, is who are the, the secondary guys? What is Mikheyev's status? Who's been skating on his own, but obviously not every day with the group and everything. So we're not quite sure where he's going to be at when the season begins. But there is opportunity, or looks to be at least, at least opportunity to compete for a guy like Niels Hoaglander. And for all our skepticism, and we were just talking about what happens with him, the team did sign him to a two-year deal, Randy. And I don't think they give him a two-year contract if they don't think there is something there potentially, or at least they view him as some sort of an asset. The question is, what can we truly expect, and how realistic is it that he can win over a coach like Rick Tockett if he plays his dogged hockey style? Well, you know, and that style, the, the word you use there is the key here, right? When we talked to Rick Tockett last year, what was, you know, the, the biggest complaint? We talked about, you know, wall guys, north-south um, on players, right? It was Dakota Joshua and essentially PDG last year. And Ilya Mikheyev features to be that sort of player. But as we know, he was shut down for uh, a good chunk of the season. So when you go up and down this lineup, how many of those players are there? There's Mikheyev, Dakota Joshua, and sorry, Reach, but Phil Giuseppe. We don't know if he's going to make the team at this point, right? <laughs> at least That's you nailed the, the pronunciation. I appreciate that. Hey, I'm trying. I'm sure um, he does too. I, hey. I don't. Th- I think he's a Di Giuseppe. So, <laughs> yeah, I think so. But you know, you start looking at the profile, and and Hoaglander can be that type of player. That's what you know. Talkett was mentioning last year, even seeing him in a few games in Abbotsford. That hey, I really like the way he. He goes up the ice. I love his determination. Uh, that's what the coach wants to see. So there is a role. There is a, a you know position for him on this team if he plays that style. You're probably in a position to make some really difficult decisions on other players. Uh, one of the, the biggest criticisms that talk had had for Anthony Bavillier last year was alongside Pedersen and Kuzmenko, he wasn't simplifying his game. So, you know, when Hoaglander's playing well, it's a very simple game. It's a game that he is very difficult to play against. So I think with Hoaglander, it's very much the same conversation as him and Vasily Podkolzin. With Hoaglander, he's a little bit older, is that, hey, play your game, make us make a, a difficult decision, and we'll make it, but you got to do your job first. So I think that ability to get up and down the ice, the ability to, you know, be disruptive, is, there's a spot on this roster. There, I'm sure there's, you know, no problem bumping guys down the lineup, but these young guys got to take that step themselves and do two things. A, play that style of game and make sure that you play with confidence and bring that consistency. If they do both of those things, guys, uh, we might be having a pretty interesting conversation 
in a couple of weeks after training camp. How has uh, Andre Kuzmenko looked? Oh, Kuzi is just absolutely like just usual Andre Kuzmenko. He's, he's got full of personality. I think it's summer in Bali. Uh, <laughs> you gave him a pretty decent tan. And on top of that, he's just, uh, you know, he's kind of his usual self. He's looking confident and, you know, chirping the guys, having fun. And something that, you know, this group is has an interesting mix right now. There's Elias Pedersen that is all business. He's even in, you know, he's captain skates, uh, usually pretty focused where Kuzmenko's coming in. He's showing uh, the dangles. He's showing that skill. But so far, so good. And he's picking corners early on. Well, I, you know, I mean, I think Kuzmenko, uh, it's just really funny. Just everything around him is, is an interesting storyline right now. And we'll see ultimately how the season goes for him. But the other guy that I wanted to ask you about is Vasily Podkolzin. And he's a player who has a lot of tools. Is just He just hasn't been able to put a lot of it together. He clearly deals with a lot of confidence issues. But I, I just see an NHL player in him. I just wonder what type of timeline he's on. Yeah, he, you know, first of all, physically, he looks a little leaner this year mm-hmm. compared to last year. So from a, a conditioning aspect, you know, remember Rick Tockett mentioning, hey, I want guys in shape and I want them conditioned when they get here. Uh, clearly, Vasily Podkolzin maybe took that message uh, to heart. So he does look a little bit leaner, one of the observations uh, at the captain's gate. Beyond that, though, the confidence is something that Bruce Boudreau talked pretty openly about that when he's playing his game, when he's a confident player, you know, he's a, basically a man child. You, you can't handle him. He goes in the corners looking to, to win the puck every single time. He's an absolute menace. Uh, when he's not confident, that you've seen him basically like think. You can see him think on the ice where he's uncertain about himself when he's maybe taking an extra second to think about the play. And guess what? In that extra half a second in the NHL, you're probably forcing your own mistake or the players just, you know, opposition player is right on top of you and they're going to force a bad decision out of you. So to me, it's not necessarily Vasily Podkolzin doesn't have NHL skill. He definitely does. It's just more of, hey, when something happens on the ace, are you taking it to heart too much? Are you afraid to make mistakes? And when you make that mistake, you know, is it something that you're kind of frozen? It's a deer in headlights moment. So you know, early on in the year, when we were talking about training time and we were talking about early in the year last year, uh, there were some good moments with Basili. But as the season went on, and I know we got 39 games, but you just saw him have that deer in headlights moment. I, ideally and hopefully what happened with the AHL is you get more minutes, you get an opportunity to play uh, through time, and, and that you're just a little bit more comfortable in yourself, guys. But to me, yeah, I think Vasily Podkolzin, when he's confident, he is, you know, he's, he is a man-child, as, as Bruce Boudreaux used to say. But to me, it's just you have to bring that not only in training camp, because we've seen that last year. You've just got to make sure that you bring that every single game. And that, you know, that that just having that confidence in your game is something that he's he just hasn't had. So to me, I look at Vasily Podkols and I say the tools are all there, right? Maybe the offense wasn't there, but in terms of being engaged in the play, being a puck hound, being a guy that can be aggressive on the forecheck, support you know, skilled players, I think he's got it in his, his toolkit. It's just a matter of how do you bring it all together in a confident way. Randy, appreciate the time. Thank you. Cheers, boys. Have a good one. Uh, there is color analyst and uh, host of Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi. It is Randy Janda, Dan Richo, and Satyar Shah. Just um, on, on the, the quick thought on, on Brock Besser, um, I don't think it's crazy to say he is one of the more important pieces to the Canucks 
hitting their potential this year as a team. Yeah, it's kind of like, I wouldn't say a linchpin, but it, he can really sway things for this team. Yeah. You know, because if he doesn't emerge, mm-hmm. they're I wouldn't say they're in big trouble, but they're in a little bit of trouble in terms of overall production. It puts a lot of stress on JT Miller, again, to yeah. not only be the guy that drives play, but being the primary goal scorer as well. And then all of a sudden on the power play, not only do you not have Horvat there anymore, then how does Besser fit in in terms of what he can provide and all that? You really need somebody to step up. And I think the obvious candidate is is Besser, but we all know there's a lot of skepticism around Besser. There's still a lot of support because every time we talk about it, people text in and say, give Besser a break. He's been through a lot and all that. Regardless, they need him to perform. Big time. They need him to perform. Uh, Coming up. Overrated, underrated Wednesday and Kevin Woodley as we continue on Canuck Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Here on Canuck Central, we're in the Kintec studio. You can always uh, keep sending your texts in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Always enjoy uh, overrated, underrated. You can find that on the podcast, Canuck Central, that way. If you subscribe, well, you should subscribe. So that way you never miss any of our uh, exclusive interviews, any of the post-game shows, the post-game show for every single Canucks game through the course of the season, and much, much more. Subscribe to the podcast. We do very much appreciate it. So let's bring in our next guest. He's the goalie guru. He joins us every Wednesday here on Canucks Central. In Goal Magazine and NHL.com, it is Kevin Woodley. What's happening, Woodley? How was the summer? I mean... The hockey season has started for me already. I'm not sure we can refer to me as a goalie guru after I uh, had eight hung on me in my Fear League <laughs> season debut on the weekend. So, Well, don't goalies um, just blame it on the defense anytime something like that happens? So, I'd love to do that, but the reality <laughs> is I just suck. Wow. So old age is uh, it's catching up with me here, boys. So, But I still love it. And yeah, do as I say, not as I do, I guess, is uh, the, way, the way we'll go from here on out. The evaluation skills are still second to none. <laughs> I can see what you're supposed to do. The body just no longer allows me to do it at, at the level I, I, I thought I used to be able to, which I wasn't very high. In the first place, let's be honest. An honest goalie. It's a, it's a real rarity in these, uh, in this world. Well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing someone to help me get through this. Right. right. Very good. Very well. Um, okay. So Canucks are, are back and uh, skating these captain skates. Uh, we've yep. uh, seen a lot of Thatcher Demko already. You know, he was there uh, at the press conference for Quinn Hughes and Patrick Alvine shouted him out as a player that could be a captain himself, part of the leadership group. It's kind of a big season for Thatcher Demko, isn't it? And um, I, I don't, as much as I'd like to think that the reliance on Demko is going to be less than it has been in years past, it's still going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a year where the Canucks really lean on Thatcher Demko yet again. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, the, the test now is whether you know, whether the body's up for it. Right. Um, and that's a fair question because it hasn't, you know, he hasn't made it through the last two years. And I think those are related. The one that, you know, 
kept him out at the end of two seasons ago and required surgery was, you know, part of the problem, maybe not out of the gate, but part of the problem early on last season that developed in, into him missing the three months. Um, there were some, some compensation patterns that emerged in his movement uh, as a result of sort of trying to get past what happened the year before. And so he's through that now. Um, he's, he's hired a private trainer that sort of specialized in the position, uh, goaltending. And, you know, I talked to him even at the end of last year, coming off the injuries, just felt so much better about his body. Um, Cause I don't think his game is ever an issue, frankly, um, even going into last season. That was what excited me about it was that he was no longer at a point where it was, you know, still trying to add things or learn new things or get comfortable with new things under Ian Clark. Like he had that dialed in. Yeah. You're always trying to perfect it. You're always trying to sort of get better at every little component, but it wasn't like he needed major changes. He'd, he'd adopted the system. He'd really, you know, you hesitate to say mastered because you're never sort of there in this position. It's constantly evolving, but he was there. And so it was just about his body. And so that betrayed him. Um, but I think he feels good about where it's at uh, based on the work he started while he was hurt last season and has continued through this off season. And listen, that doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth start to finish. That doesn't mean there's gonna, not going to be bumps and bruises. Uh, the challenges, the demands of the position as the games become lateral, like it's never been harder to be a number one goaltender in the NHL, but I like his chances of getting through it this year more than I did going into last year. And that said, like, you know, just look at two years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like the three goalies who played the most in the NHL, Connor Hellebuck, Thatcher Demko, and UC Saros. And two of the three didn't make it through the end of the year. So um, that's a real thing. You have to, you know, the days of 70 games are gone. Um, Guys that push into the 60s, uh, even if they get through the season, tend not to have great success in the playoffs because they're, they're running on fumes. And so it's a matter of finding that balance. And, and hopefully, I guess, I guess the big thing is you're not, hopefully you're not leaning on him as much. You're not needing East-West. You're not needing acrobatic, dynamic backdoor saves as often as they have for the, I was going to say for the past couple of years, but even before that, the last year of Jacob Markstrom, like they just lean so heavily on goaltenders. I, I liked what I saw you know, out of the system, out of the structure of Talkit late last season, and if they can maintain that, maybe improve on that with some of the personnel, especially on the penalty kill that they've brought in, it sh- you shouldn't need Vesna-level performances every night just to have a chance. And so even the mental toll that that takes should be, you know, somewhat of a relief for Thatcher Demko this year compared to the years past, not feeling like you still want to be great. You still want to be your best, Mm -hmm. but not feeling like you need to be Superman every night to even have a chance. And, you know, I feel like for the Canucks for the past couple of years, that's sort of where their goaltenders have been. Well, you kind of, uh, you're, you're right because the, the team's spine was really weak uh, in prior years, right? Especially uh, last year with the PK, like you mentioned, but now you mentioned some of the additions. You have Teddy Bluger, you have P- Pia Suter, you add Ian Cole and Carson Soucy on the back end as well. Hironic comes in. Just from the looks of it, the team should actually have, I, I don't know if, if, if the spine is going to be elite or anything like that, but it should at the very least give them a chance. Yeah, and you know, especially on the PK, and I had this conversation for an NHL.com. We ran our 32 and 32 series in August, and we're talking like, oh, I was in Montreal at the time, so that was late August, like third week in August. And you know, mm-hmm. one of the questions I asked, like, 
know, we've talked about, you guys have heard me talk about the PK and lanes and listen, cross ice passes are one thing you got to eliminate lateral seams, but also just even being one thing to be in the right lane on the PK. It's another thing to be in the right lane on the PK and willing to eat a puck. And frankly, there haven't been enough guys on the PK that are willing to eat a puck. And they have those guys now. And he praised in Cole for being that guy and how that can be contagious throughout the rest of the penalty killers. I mean, Carson Soucy is a guy who's not afraid to, hey, has the, has the hockey IQ to be in the right lane per the system, but also the willingness to eat a puck while he's in there. And that, you know, that hasn't always been the case for the past couple of years. And that's one of the reasons they've had a penalty kill that has flirted with historically bad. So um, those should be improvements. Now, listen, the one challenge here is there's going to be an adjustment, not system-wise, because obviously that's already in place, but reading off the individual defensemen. And, you know, it always amazes me. This has been a real learning curve for me over the past couple of years when we do in goals pro reads, where we sit down with NHL goalies and they walk us through save selections, why I chose this depth, why I decided to use this type of save. You know, why I flattened out anticipating a backdoor pass, like what tells, what signs, what am I seeing that allows me to have that level of anticipation to have made this play in this manner and be successful. And we've done that with Demko as well. And the one thing that comes across that I, I never, never thought about as much as I do now is how often those answers aren't just about what they're seeing from the attacking players, the handedness of, you know, a backdoor option. Is it a one-timer? Um, the way... Uh, an attacking player is holding the puck relative to his body. Is it out in front of him? Is it in his feet? Uh, the stick angle, where the elbows are. Things that they, little cues, read the game in split seconds um, that amaze me. But constantly, consistently, through the three years of doing this, I think we've got close to 185 of them online right now um, with 35 different goalies, including some of the best in the NHL. And like I said, Thatcher Demko included, is how much of that read is based on what the defense is doing. And yes, some of that system, but a lot of it is, you know, knowing the sort of personal habits of each guy's, their tendencies. And, you know, Ryan Miller used to talk about this. I, I remember, I think it was Tramp and like, it was like four months in and Miller's like, oh yeah, I'm finally getting comfortable reading off what I expect him to do. And now, now, now like, Miller's a different, different sort of cat. Like he, you know, on that scale of just track the puck, make the save, square up to anticipation and even baiting shooters like he was far on the anticipation end so obviously that's going to require a little more time to sort of get comfortable with what guys are going to do but it, it blew me away how long it took him to be comfortable with that and so that's going to be part of the adjustment not just for Demko but for whether it's Seelovs or Spencer Martin that's going to be an adjustment for them getting comfortable with the tendencies of the defense in front of them because it's not just the system it's what guys tend to do within the system. We're on an odd man rush. Does he pressure at the blue line? Uh, does he pressure at the top of the circles? Where, where, where is this defenseman most likely to pressure and in what way? How do I read off that? How do I change my depth based on the likelihood that's going to be successful against this particular rush and these particular skaters? And that takes a little time to be comfortable. Now, I don't, like I said, I don't think Demko's on that sort of Ryan Miller edge of the scale in terms of relying on that. So maybe it won't take as long but that is going to be part of the process and for a team that you know we've already talked so much about the start being so important and the pressure that comes with that after so many years of bad starts you know that's that's a complicating factor and one that we're going to have to take into account um early in the season 
You know, speaking of the the start, um, we talked at the end of last year just some of the things that were encouraging about how they played and how the season ended under Rick Tockett. You know, defensively, they made some some real improvements and ones that you know we didn't see at the uh, start of the Boudreau era when they went on that 106 point pace to finish that season. Um, what's it What's it going to take for them to to maintain some of that? And you know, in, in theory, it feels like all the moves they made in the offseason were sort of with the mind of we need to maintain this. We need to get players that actually understand the details in the defensive zone and beyond. Maintaining would be more than enough. If they could maintain what they had under talk after he arrived. Now, listen, part of that is, you know, there probably are some teams, let's be honest, they came in here late in the season as, as bad as the Canucks had been, and mm-hmm. they didn't get their best out of them, right? Yep. And so maybe, you know, if you get off to a hot start, you get, you get the best out of more teams. But, like, I feel like the NHL is, like, it's such a grind and it's such a race to, to, to playoff spots and finish lines so early that, you know, that sort of feeling out process is shorter and shorter. You, you get the best most nights. Um, so, yeah, I, accounting for that, all they need to do is maintain. Like, they went from, you know, for a long stretch, bottom three, five on five, uh, high danger chances against two. And I don't have it in front of me. I apologize, but I, I was shocked at how good it was after talking, sort of after that late January turn. I, if I'm not mistaken, and I, and I really want to look this up, and I, like I said, I apologize. I don't have my computer in front of me as we're talking, but um, like flirting with top five under Talkit, five on five, maintain that. You don't even need to improve. Just maintain that mm-hmm. and get decent goaltending. You're in great shape, and that's why I talk about not having to lean so heavily, that having – Demko and and Martin and Seelovs not feel like they have to stop bullets in their teeth to even have a chance, right? Like, um, there's a lot of encouraging signs in how they play under targets. Maintaining that would be enough. Where the improvement has to come significantly is on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. So if you can just maintain what they did under target, that I think that's I think that's more than enough. That's great. It's the penalty kill that needs to not just maintain but actually get better. And and I think that's why you saw. So you know, I mean, it's not a secret. You know, they didn't hide it. It was, it was, you know, I think it was the quotes in every press release of every signing they made this summer talked about the penalty kill and having guys that could contribute on the PK. And you know, we're through multiple coaches now at this point. Um, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, it, it's pretty clear. It's not, it wasn't about the systems. It's about having players that are not just able to execute, but willing to execute. And so much of that on the PK again um, is not just hard work, but, a willingness to eat pox. Like you can't just be in a lane. If your goaltender knows I've got the short side around a screen because I, my defenseman has the middle lane, then he has to know his defenseman's in the middle lane and is willing to back away in the middle lane, not just be there and add an extra layer to a screen. And too many nights, I mean, I harped on it so many times last year. That's all the defenseman or the, or the forward flexing out were doing in those lanes. They weren't willing to sacrifice themselves to eat a puck. And I think they brought in more and more guys that are going to do that. And, and the hope I think is that it becomes contagious, that if Ian Cole is, is, is putting his body on the line on a nightly basis, that other guys will follow suit. And I think part of it kind of comes down to the mentality of the team. And, you know, the big talking point around the team last year, of course, was, you know, self-preparation. It was practice habits and all those things. And, Clearly, they've made changes to the roster, but the leadership group, which is now captained by Quinn Hughes, is still very much the same. Now, they've added some veterans, like you mentioned. So I think a lot of us are also kind of really wondering and, and, and seeing and wondering to see, 
is there going to be a mentality shift with that core? Because it was interesting that, you know, Reach alluded to this as well and saying that um, Alvin and, and Talk had kept referring to Demko being part of the leadership group and how he could have been a captain on a team to begin with. And, and hey, you know, I, I think they're being honest about it, but I do think that we should expect more out of this leadership group. And the question is, do they have it, have it in them to be a real serious core? Time will tell, right? Like, um, I would say that, you know, and, and there was a different captain through, you know, Bo Horvat was the captain through all those other times, but there has been a tendency to get, I'm trying to think of the right term here. I don't want to overstate it. Um, but just to seemingly get too content too soon, too easily. Yeah. Is that fair? Like, just, yeah, I think so. you know, like, like, Hey, look at us, look at it. And, and so, Hey, we did this last year. So everything's going to be easy next year. It's going to come too easy. And I think, you know, last year at the end of the season in some of the exit meeting interviews with the media, some of them even admitted that, right? Like that they had that great finish under Boudreaux and they thought things would be easy. They just come in and pick up where they left off. Right. Like, so that's happened multiple times now with this group and different leadership, like you said, different different guy wearing the seat, but it's happened multiple times. And frankly, there's no more excuses. Like if it happens again, then much like the penalty kill, you need to start looking up at the makeup of the players as opposed to their like as people as opposed to the ability. Like if there's if they can if they come in and seem, for lack of a better term, fat and happy again because they had a good finish last year and they're content with that and they don't push forward, then you have to start asking some really hard questions about even this new leadership group. Um, But I I think that's, you know, it's it's early to sort of worry about that. Um, I think when you hear talk, talk about embracing pressure and meeting pressure with pressure and all those things, uh, you know, those are all positives. Let's let's see if you can walk the walk now that you've talked the talk. Because we've heard similar too many years in a row, and you know they haven't delivered. They haven't been able to deliver. They've appeared, like I said, a little a little content and expecting that things will come easy because they did before. And hey, man, it's hard league, and defense takes work and commitment as a five man unit. I don't care if you improve, improve the defense core. Defense is not just about the defensemen. I've said that many, many times, right? And so it's the habits of everyone. I, I just like the way they're headed. I like the way that was emphasized uh, under Rick Tockett and the way they executed. And to me, it's just a matter of maintaining more is the same. Like, I believe that that's more sustainable than, it, than Boudreaux's hot finish was because his was goaltending reliant. So I, I, you know, I believe it's more sustainable and more easily sustained. If they can't, if they're not willing to do the work again as a group, then I think that tells you a lot. But I, I don't, ex- I genuinely do not expect to see that this time around. Uh, we have uh, training camp coming up next week, so we'll have more time to talk about uh, the backup goalie battle with uh, Spencer Martin and Arthur Silovs. But a few questions have come in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox today regarding some of the Canucks goalie prospects. And uh, at the Young Stars, we'll see Nikita Tolopilo and, uh, of course, Ty Young as a couple of the contingent goaltenders for the Canucks at development camp. Um, what, what do you... What do you like about these two goalie prospects for the Vancouver Canucks? Well, Ty Young's still a prospect, like in every sense of the word, right? Like, like this isn't uh, you're going to see him in the next year or so pushing for NHL. Man, like there's a development path here, right? Yeah. But you see the tools. Um, we even saw it last year, like in in their summer 
um, you know, development camp, I guess, uh, where, where he came in and a lot of what Ian Clark was teaching was totally new to him. But then by the time they got to the scrimmage, he was executing it in games uh, smoothly, efficiently, and effectively. And you're like, wow, like, like, holy crap, like, you know, some of the reverse tracking and, and post-integration, you know, pop passes into the middle, the way he was executing off the rush, popping into the post and then getting out in the middle and set. I'm like, you just, you just learned that last week, man. How the hell are you executing at that level? That's encouraging, right? But he's still a project. Um, I, I got to spend a little bit of time with him up in Cologne in the summer watching him. You know, there are some things in his movement that are not efficient. Um, he's got length. He's got a lot of raw tools. But if you pull yourself apart and you're not, you don't add some of that efficiency, um, you're, you, have, you risk being injury prone. There's, there's, there's still a lot of steps to be taken. But I like everything that's there in the package. Tolapilo, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not going to Penticton. I now sort of wish I was. He's. I kept hearing about how raw he was when they made this signing, and I. That is not what I saw at development camp. Like it's not a finished product, but it's a lot closer than I thought it would be, and to the point where it surprised me. And you add the sort of the length and the size and the frame and some of the talent there. Now listen, there's going to be an adjustment period. The American Hockey League is not the K. You know. It, it's it's not European hockey. It's a totally different style. And he's talked about this, about everything is more direct and more at the net. You don't have time to sort of sit on things. Um, but I, like, I think he's going to adjust rather quickly. And there may be some ups and downs in the first month, two months. We've seen it from other guys that come over here. But I'm excited about him as a prospect, more so than I expected to be um, when they made that signing based on the people I talked to. Like, yeah, like, like they liked him. I'm just surprised how refined might be an overstatement, mm-hmm. but I'm surprised how he's not as raw as I thought he would be based on the descriptions I got. Like there's, there's, there's a, there's a there, there, there's a goalie there. And this sort of last piece to it is what does it look like in games? Cause that's what I haven't seen. And that's where, you know, those reads I talked about with the pro reads, um, that's a big part of this. And it's, you can look great in goalie drills, but can you translate it into games? And I think it's unfair to expect it to be snap the fingers instant in the American Hockey League because of the different style. But if he can adjust, you know, and, and bring what he brings in a practice environment, can t- maintain the structure and, and the skill that I see, I'm excited to see where that goes. And, and I wish I was going to actually cancel going to Penticton and, uh, and now I kind of wish I was, to be honest with you. Uh, that's happening this weekend. Uh, either way, whether you're going to Penticton or not, uh, Rager on the text line says, the best guest on 650, Kevin Woodley. Hey, was he on the beer league team that I played against? Is he just saying that he got half of the eight goals I gave up on Saturday night? All these people are nice to me. I'm assuming they've also scored goals. Cannot confirm nor deny. Uh, Woodley, you are the best. Uh, good to have you back. We'll talk soon. Yeah, look forward to uh, look forward to another season with you guys. Always enjoy chatting, and thanks for having me on today. Uh, there is Kevin Woodley, the goalie guru himself, always dropping knowledge here on Canuck Central every Wednesday. Yeah, great guy, uh, fantastic person, and great colleague, and of course, incredible guests as well. Uh, before we get out, something kind of slipped through the cracks yesterday on the show. What's that? Apparently, it was somebody's birthday. Oh yes, on the show yesterday, and, yeah. and, and apparently, Earth. Earth outed it and nobody really oh. noticed so i was very happy about that i didn't even i didn't even catch it i, I noticed even, you noticed well, what did Earth i actually listened say? to the show 
<laughs> Irf was mad that I was chirping him, so he said, uh, I will not give you any birthday wishes now. So, Oh, is that what he said? Yeah. Right. Okay. So Irf cares more than, than <laughs> yeah, we do. Clearly, <laughs> clearly. Well, happy belated birthday, Reach. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's sort of weird. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I, when... At this age, you kind of just hate birthdays now. I don't even sell. I don't like <laughs> my birthday. I don't. Even I almost don't people. want people to know my birthday. No. It's kind of how it goes. I don't do birthday parties. I haven't done them in years. I never do birthday get-togethers. Like only a couple of my cult, like people, only a few people know my birthday that I actually, you know, yeah. and they say happy birthday and I want to do something, but me never. I couldn't. Do I, your partners no. try to like get you to do something though? They're like, oh, we yes, got to celebrate. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I got spoiled try- yesterday, yeah. but. Uh, there was like an ask of, do you want to do something bigger? And I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, the whole like, hey, people coming to for me for my birthday is kind of an awkward thing. I always yes. find like birthday parties like to be awkward. Yes. You I'm know? like, sorry you had to do this. Yeah, I kind of like feel like I'm inconveniencing <laughs> yeah. people or whatever. I had to buy like, you know, half the people buying you a gift aren't happy about it. No. <laughs> yeah. I just want to go golfing on my birthday. That's it. That's it. Uh, all right. So uh, that'll do it for today. Tomorrow, uh, Thursday on Canucks Central, we'll continue to talk about your Vancouver Canucks as it is Canucks Central. And we'll dive more into Thatcher Demko's season after uh, getting some of what Kevin Woodley had to say on Demko. We'll continue that conversation, his importance to the team and what it means to get him back and healthy, potentially playing at a very high level again, how that could affect the Canucks for this year. Stan Richo and Satyar Shah shouts to producers Elon and Josh. You've been listening to Canuck Central.